Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds. And today on the show, I'm very excited to bring on uh, this special guest. She is a two-time Japanese national champion, 1994 world champion, and two-time Olympian, Yuka Sato. Hi, Yuka. Hi, Polina. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to get your voice on the podcast and learn a lot about your career. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. It's very exciting. (laughs) of course thank you for doing this so I know that your parents were both Olympians in Japan two-time Olympians which is crazy because you became a two-time Olympian yourself Um, so how and when did you get into skating well that's a big question because I don't really remember Um, (laughs) from the time I remember I was on the ice um, but I, I hear that I got on the ice for the first time around when I was three and a half years old. And apparently, I didn't really like it at the beginning. <laughs> um, but then uh, shortly after that, you know, because of my um, environment, my parents, uh, at the time, my, my mother wasn't coaching anymore and being a, a stay home mom. But uh, my, my dad was a skating coach. So we would go and visit um, the rink often. And eventually I got on the ice and um, I fell in love with the sport and I stayed in forever (laughs) and still, still there. Still in it. I love that. Wow. That's really nice that your parents had so much experience within the sport to help guide you from a young age. But I also know that that can be really challenging having your parent both parents as your coach. Um, So what was your experience like being coached by your parents? Um, Actually, it was very easy. I mean, Mm. you were in sort of a very similar situation, right? Yeah, my mom coached me as well. Yeah. So um, (laughs) it was actually easy when I was a child. um, At younger stage, it was great. I didn't have any issues. the only thing was my dad didn't have a lot of time for me um, because he had to teach other skaters. Hmm. So um, he would just grab me here and there, five minutes here and there. Um, and fortunately, that there were three other um, girls who were at the exact same age as I am. So we often did the group lessons. And um, that was fun. And I would just really um, 
try to remember as much of uh, instructions my dad gives us. And I would just go to the side and uh, work and work and work. And I would just keep looking at him. Uh, did I do this right? Did I do this right? <laughs> and then apparently I would pull his belt loop um hey watch me you know can you when, when is my lesson when is my lesson you know <laughs> I kept asking and he's like in just a little bit in just a little bit <laughs> and it never came so um it didn't make sense to me you know as a child it's like why is my dad not teaching me you know and all the other kids you know they're getting lessons so I was a little bit jealous but um <laughs> Yeah, now now I'm come to think of it, it, it it all makes sense, you know. It's it's his business and he had his students and um you know, I wasn't included. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Did you have other coaches that you worked with besides your dad in Japan or was it mostly just um your dad and then you trying to figure it out on the sides? Uh, I I just uh tried to figure it out and I didn't have any um other assistant coaches for a long time. And um, when I became competitive further along, uh, my mother came back to coaching mm. so that, you know, um, and I think they, they did it for me uh, as I started becoming a little bit more competitive so that they share their time. Um, my mom taught me a lot of um, basic technique and you know she she trained me and uh, yeah so we became a, a good team uh, but of course you know teenage stage is a little bit different and totally. things became <laughs> a little bit difficult so um, that's when they uh, introduced me to another coach uh, Peter Dunfield in Canada who was uh, Elizabeth Manley's coach Mm -hmm. uh, back in 80s and um, I went to train with him in Ottawa um, a few months at a time back wow. and forth between Japan and Canada very cool so that was like a mutual decision your team made for you rather than you being like I can't do this anymore and I'm gonna leave well I always had a, a big dream of training in North America you know hmm. some Japanese skaters were doing that so mm -hmm. I, I sort of um was dreaming a little bit that was mm -hmm. my uh romantic dream of training elsewhere other than Japan but uh my parents uh realized I think it's important for you to learn what it's like to take lessons from somebody who is not a family member mm -hmm. um to appreciate their time a little bit more and to respect and all those things so they basically shipped me out and uh <laughs> Um, the first year was interesting because I didn't speak English. And um, yeah, so and there were no Japanese people. I'm in Michigan now and almost everywhere in the U.S. If you go um, any cities, any rinks, there are some Asian people, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. you, you will find Japanese people. But back then, I mean, in Ottawa, I didn't have any Japanese friends and wow. I didn't know any English so communication was a huge thing and also rides you know if you don't have a car then you have to wait for the bus and winter time over there is very very cold and um, I became homesick a lot 
Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. And, and there, there are no gadgets either, you know, um, yeah. no, no cell phone, no FaceTiming, you know, it's just a press the button and call Japan, but it's an international call. So it's very, very expensive. And yeah, so that was a whole uh, journey. Um, yeah. yeah. Did you like live with a host family since you were a teenager when you moved out there? Or were you so you had some type of support, but they didn't speak English or they spoke English and maybe I actually don't know. <laughs> they didn't uh, speak yes. Japanese. I had a I had a host family and mm-hmm. um, no Japanese. Wow. So we'll, you know, we'll write, we'll try to pull up the dictionary. Even on the ice, uh, skating lessons were very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I used to have this little palm size uh, dictionary, you know, uh, English, Japanese uh, from one side. And then from the opposite end, uh, opposite side, there's a, a Japanese English. So my coach had to, you know, wear glasses because they were so small. The letters were so small and I'm just trying to communicate. But um, my first summer, uh, the first time that I went to Canada was sort of a last minute uh, decision. And my coach first turned us down and saying, uh, Mm. I don't have any time you know, in the summertime, I'm all booked. And my dad begged him. So he, thankfully, he he accepted me, but he didn't have a lot of time. So I I got about 20 minutes each day. Wow. He squeezed me in. And, um, you know, out of out of 20 minutes, how how much of a time were we trying to figure out how to communicate with each other yeah actual skating lesson time was about 10 minutes that's how this whole thing started wow and um yeah so that was an experience but I feel like uh really trailing back to you know my starting point as a competitive you know athlete if if it wasn't for those experiences I I don't think I will be here yeah that is that is really just a whole set of challenges on top of like skating zone challenges and it is um it's crazy that you were able to get through that and and uh train in that environment what was the like biggest difference between training in North America versus Japan at the time what did you notice there there are so many so many differences First of all, um, the rink situations are very different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, ice time in Japan is limited, crowded, um, and the hours of, um, you know, the time that we can train is before school and in the evening. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the rest is public skating session um, where in Canada we could have uh, very empty you know, less crowd, less crowded sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though people say it's packed, you know, there are only <laughs> 10, 14 people skating and that's just really great. So um, ice time was um, available at pretty much all time. Uh, and because of the such... Um, uh, restricted hours that 
we had in Japan, we didn't have a lot of, you know, days off. I mean, my parents were really big in advocating, you know, having a day off is very important for your body and for your mind. So um, we did have one day off on Sundays, but, you know, Saturdays we skated. And um, when I got to Canada, there's no ice on Saturday. Uh, coaches were like, no, uh, you're taking two days off on the weekend. And I go, I'm going to lose everything, you know. So um, it's really interesting. Uh, learning to take some time off is a new thing and scary thing. I, I felt like I was just slacking, you know, being lazy. Um, so cu culturally, there, there were so many differences. Um yeah, but I, I learned a lot in Canada with my coach, Peter Dunfield. Yeah. That's fantastic. Did you face any challenges representing Japan, but not fully training in Japan? Um, I, I know that a lot of skaters do train in other countries they represent, but I, I feel like sometimes I hear that there's some type of, I don't know, weirdness with the Federation. Like they want you to train in your home country. Did you experience any of that or was it just like fully supportive? Uh, they were they were fully supported in terms of that, but I wasn't at the time. I wasn't their favorite uh, skaters, so it was sort of like they didn't really care as much at the time. Um, there, there, there were other uh, skaters that were a little more popular, and they wanted to push. So um, I constantly had to prove that I'm good enough. I know that pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. relate to that. <laughs> it, it's a, yeah. it's a lonely, lonely feeling. Um, and especially mm -hmm. when you're so young and vulnerable, um, yeah. you feel like, you know, your federation is not supporting you, you know, but that's also something that we as athletes um, also have to learn the reality of that. You do have to put it down when it counts and, yeah. uh, you know, as their representative, you have to be able to um, do your job. And I needed to learn that, too. Exactly. Well, that makes for the strongest form of competitor because you really do only rely on yourself and not all of the extra behind the scenes stuff that you can't control. Um, so that's great, really, I think. You went to two Olympic games and they were both like within the two years of each other. That was when they um, made the second or the winter Olympics separate from the summer. Um, so that was a very, very unique two Olympic experience um, time that you got to be a part of. What did you learn the most about yourself at the Olympics? Like what was something that you um, felt like it was a big moment for you to discover about who you were as a competitor? Well, 92 Olympics, first of all, having only two years in between the two Olympic seasons were really a gift in some ways because you usually have to yeah. wait for four. So exactly. how lucky it would have been here, you know. <laughs> um, I, was, I was very lucky, I have to say. But um, uh, leading up to 92 was the challenge, almost like going to the Olympics was the best experience of my life I can remember everything in 92 like almost everything in 92 yeah um, but it was in some ways cele celebration no pressure at all um, but making a team 
for me was very, very difficult. Um, the the up until season before I was one of those skaters that were um you know when you start skating really well everything goes well but then mm -hmm. if something happens then everything was a disaster it's all or nothing type of skater yeah. and uh so I would make a team on one season and then wouldn't make the team for another two seasons or whatever. It was always so close to making the team, yet I always failed to to uh, make the team. And once in a while, I would uh, make the team accidentally and uh, get a glimpse of a wonderful experience of what it's like to be uh, to to be selected as a um, world team member or something like that. So yeah. I would get that little taste of it, but then I wouldn't completely earn it. So that was the big challenge leading up to 92. And that, that was around the time that it, things were starting to become very serious because I was uh, about 18 then. Mm -hmm. So um, what am I going to do with my life? And this is very important for me to make this team. But mm -hmm. at the time, because I've messed up so many times that, you know, I wasn't, like I said before, I wasn't the uh, favorite skater of the, uh, the Federation who, you know, wanted to push. So mm -hmm. I really needed to make sure that I'm better than anybody else. So things got very serious. And at first, uh, early part of the season, I made some changes in my training plans, but it wasn't coming together and it was just about a month before the nationals um, everything started to all come together and I was able to uh, believe in myself and my consistency of the training so mm -hmm. um, by the time um, nationals happened I, I was pretty confident and skated like the way I should be able to and realize, oh, this is how I put things together. You know, this is how you do it. And um, after making a team, it was just, you know, showing up at nationals with the superstar Midori Ito um, as, as our champion mm -hmm. of the team. And I just get to practice every single day with her and learn and, you know, experience all of this. So it was such a height of my career. Uh, now, leading up to the second Olympics, there were, of course, more pressure. There was no Midori. She's retired, and I was going in there as a champion. So um, there was a little more pressure. And, um, you know, it wasn't my perfect Olympics, but um, there I also learned a lot. And uh highlight of the Olympics was that being able to watch Katya and Sergei perform live for the first time and I wasn't gonna oh. miss that event so that yeah was so wonderful that's amazing I mean pe people say about like okay you know I want to walk in a opening ceremony or whatever but uh, um, for me the highlight of the event was uh, to to be able to sit in the stands and uh, wow watch Katya and Sergey. yeah that's amazing how special yeah well what was it like to go to the world championships after that Olympics and finish your career as a world champion? What did that um, mean to you 
Um, and was that like a reason for retirement for you? Like, did that feel like a pinnacle that you just wanted to go pro after that? Or um, what was your reason for retiring after that? Well, um, uh, not having a perfect skate at the, um, the Olympics, which was about a month before the world championship that I won. Um, mm-hmm. That was another sort of a, awakening <laughs> moment for me and also I, I felt the glimpse of possibility where I could be very competitive you know um, and I, I really took up for a challenge uh, showing up at uh, Worlds and uh, winning at my home crowd, you know, in Japan was very yeah. special, I have to say. Uh, yeah, that was one of those moments where I do remember my performance even still today, but it's the feeling of uh, having so much support in your own home crowd and to, to win that. And I was the last skater as well. So mm-hmm. skating very well um, in Japan and um you know, people standing on their feet was just really special. And I still today, it's been <laughs> 30 some years, but uh, I still remember. And uh, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Um, making a decision to turn pro was interestingly enough that I just, uh, training for worlds after the Olympics and something just came to me. And, and I knew this was going to be my last world. Uh, I don't know why there, there were no calculated reasons, but uh, I just knew this was, this should be my last one. This is going to be my last one. So I didn't really share that thoughts with anybody else until everything was done, but I just sort of knew, Mm -hmm. Uh, which kind of made me skate uh with so much uh passion and i don't want to leave anything sorry uh, hold on i just started to oh, i'm <laughs> so good. sorry i was getting a weird call um yeah so i i wanted to i wanted to just give my all mm-hmm. in the stage of my last world championship and i think that made it very special uh also as a child, my dream was to, to go professional and skate in so many different shows, especially Stars on Ice. I yeah. had um, a family friend um, who would send my parents the videotapes of American televised ice shows, including Stars on Ice and Ice Capades. So I would watch those growing up and I decided that's where I want to be. And the reason I became a um, competitive skater was because my uh, mom said to me, well, you see those skaters and those shows, they're all Olympic champions and world champions. So, you know, you have to be competitive first in a competitive circuit and you have Mm -hmm. to become very successful to be invited to those shows. So then, you know, as a child, I was like, okay, well, fine. Then I'm going to become a world (laughs) champion like they are. So I get to go there. You know, that was as simple of a decision as that. And ever since then, I worked very hard 
because I had something to, you know, achieve. I love and, that. Um, <laughs> you know, people say dream big, but it's kind of a scary thought that um, you would actually believe that that that's a possibility. And, you know, it's great that my dream came true. So uh, winning the world title was huge. But for me, it was only the starting point to open the door for what is come, what is to come next. Wow. And I was very certain of that. So with that medal, I, I felt like, okay, I can extend my career, which is something that mm-hmm. I love to do. And now what? Do I actually get to have the career like these people, you know, that I always um, idolized? And um it was like a, a dreamland for a bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of my pro, pro career was like, what's next? What can I do? What can I do? Yeah, yeah. That's so fun because it's like the motivation is from more of uh, like an enjoyment, like you said, extending the skating career because it's something that you love to do so much, rather than being so hyper focused on a certain color medal on a podium at some competition. Um, so I love that. I actually super relate to. Uh, watching shows as a kid and wanting to do that. And I remember sitting in Stars on Ice and Champions on Ice shows with my mom and our other like skating friends. And I would always like watch and think to myself, oh, I should bring my skates next time and just jump over the board and join someone on the ice. And my mom would be like, you can't do that until you have actually made a name for yourself in skating. Do not do that. Um, But performing in Stars on Ice when I was a teenager after the Olympics was like, it, it also felt like that dream come true moment. Like, I can't believe that I thought about doing this when I was like seven and now I'm here. It's so, so special. So I yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your time like with um, stars on ice and you did the world pro championships as well. Right. So um, what were some of your favorite memories from um, touring professionally for so many years? Oh, it was a dream, um, <laughs> just more than I imagined. And the friendships that I, you know, I I met all these wonderful friends and I, I'm still friends with. And yeah. um, it, it was it was definitely more than I I, I expected, seriously. Um, but the the dream of uh getting into um stars on ice was six years long hard work and you know i have to say that there are so many uh great opportunities you know i i had uh from the time i think since 94 so from the time i won my world title there were so many uh pro-am and professional events and we stayed so busy. Um, thinking back, I I can't I can't believe how much events that I've participated in, and I I couldn't have been luckier. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot, but um, the only thing was that my dream was to become you know part of a Stars on Ice cast member, and there were so so many. Um, so many wonderful um, champions ahead of me and my turn wasn't coming. (laughs) So it took me six years 
to wow. uh, to get to get to my real dream. <laughs> <laughs> so I really had to work hard, and um, you know, every season of my professional career at the first six years was very important to me. Uh, every every event, I tried my very very best. Um, and to want to grow, you know, I, I wanted to grow as a professional skater, as an artist. And I came from Japan at the time. You know, right now there are so many Japanese champions and they're doing shows everywhere. Uh, they're mm -hmm. so busy and it's sort of like, you know, they probably think of it as nothing. It's just a show. But yeah. back then, you know, uh, coming from Japan, um, and becoming a show skater in a, in North America, uh, our skating was technically, um, you know, strong, but culture, culturally, you know, we were so behind. We didn't know a lot of things, how, how things were done in figure skating world. So really, I was learning how to put things together, how to become a, a respected uh, professional skater. You know, mm -hmm. and, and so many people, choreographers and you know, directors and so many people have helped me. And, um, you know, you would learn from all these you know, skaters that I was idolizing, you know, Scott Hamilton, um, uh, Christy Yamaguchi, all these people, um, you know, Kurt, Paul, um, all these skaters that I shared ice with. And I would just, you know, when as soon as my performance was over, I would just go at the curtain, you know, backstage and I would just peek out and, and learn. And, you know, all these people um, in the audience, they're just so emotional watching their performances. And I'm just stunned and mesmerized and excited at the same time and wondering, how do I do that? You know, mm -hmm. Katarina Vitt goes out there and she looks at an audience and everybody just goes, Shh, what yeah. is about to happen? And the curiosity and it's it's just uh, such an aura that she comes with. And uh, Dorothy Hamill stands on the ice and it's almost like she is um, melting the ice. So she's so beautiful and her aura is melting the ice. Like what I'm seeing in front of my eyes are like surreal and mm -hmm. I just couldn't figure out I'm still standing on the exact same ice and how do you do that so I would always constantly watch and you know watch their performances and um, learn and uh, hopefully one day you know, <laughs> I get to do the same yeah. I wanted to have that sort of effect to the audience where you know that they have the best time and uh, memorable performance that on their way home that they would still start to think of the skaters that they watched and yeah. uh, I wanted to become that performer so you know there was so much learning learning curve uh, it's so cool once, yeah no you can go continue. ahead <laughs> um once I uh, I started touring as the Stars on Ice member, you know, it was just so much fun and um, you know like I said earlier I've created so many friends and um, um, it's the best uh, experiences of my life. I love hearing about that. I think it's really cool to hear um, skaters like you. I've talked to um, Brian and Scott about this as well. And it's, 
it's like that time period of shows um was amazing like culturally for that friendship factor and and the like popularity of skating but the quality of the performances were really really high um and that's kind of like what I hear from um your generation of top skaters is that um everybody took it really really seriously and it was like it it was your job like you wanted to get better at it and perform really well every single time um which made it so much fun and made it like really worthwhile for you guys to keep growing as artists um, and I've definitely experienced in shows that I've been a part of now, like the culture is definitely different. Like you said, um, like I feel like skaters don't always take it as seriously or it's you're kind of in the locker room and you're not like you're like, oh, it doesn't matter how I do. Like people just came to see me skate. But if I don't skate great or I miss something like it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it, it is a very different mindset and um, like growing up my mom would always tell me when I was doing shows because I was still a teenager she'd be like no you need to perform well if you want to get invited again like you know you got to take it seriously like, people are here people are paying tickets to watch you like you need to show quality you can't just you know not not do anything and so like growing up hearing that from my mom was kind of like okay mom but talking with skaters like you and and like Brian and Scott it, it is that type of culture where like yes you want to perform your best even in shows even though it's different than competition the, the quality still needs to be there um so it I love hearing about shows in like the 90s and the early 2000s because it does sound just um like it gives me chills when I think about it I would love to like time travel in that time period I wasn't even born yet but I would love to see um what shows like that were like back then Oh, it was so exciting. Um, you know, I haven't really mentioned Brian Boitano's name um, yet, but um, uh, he he's, <laughs> he was a machine also in um, uh, all these professional shows and uh, competitions. And I did so many shows with Brian and I learned so much from Brian. Um, you know, he's such a wonderful person and I always respected him. But, um, you know, when you get to watch the way he prepares for his performance, um, you know, on the side and you just sort of uh, pay attention to how he prepares and everything. And he takes every single performance very seriously. And um, uh, some of the competitions... You know, I know that uh, he didn't do quads in pearl competitions, but for so many years, you know, he would do still triple axles every single time he goes out there. Um, and, you know, we our, our lifestyles change as a professional skater. You know, um, amateur skaters, they compete... Uh, to get to the world championships and and throughout the whole season they will perform to the same two programs short and along but mm -hmm. um you know as professional skaters the the shows change and we have to learn new programs and everything so our training um is a little bit different but even still you know the group of skaters that we had in 
90s, uh, staying busy, we all trained very hard and try to try to challenge our most difficult um, tricks at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and we would really throw them out there. Um, and I think it really made us grow artistically and technically, you know, as skaters too, we would learn different types of steps, different types of movements, um, because there were so many um, different types of events, you know, there is your trademark type of performances. And then there are um, other types of things that you think that you're not good at, but because you're forced to learn these things and eventually um, you know, you'll become good at it. Mm-hmm. And um, that is so much more bags of tricks that you have <laughs> um, as your repertoire. And I, I think that's how we became uh, so good. And, you know, watching Brian um, to be so consistent, so strong every single time and the, the attitude that he had, you know, taking things seriously each time was something to learn. Uh uh, not be afraid of uh, trying new things um, and still get out there and do your job is something that I learned from Christy Yamaguchi, you know, um, and uh, any kind of obstacles that you you have in life, it, you still get up and go and you try your best and just enjoy each moment is something that I learned from Scott Hamilton you know, and being playful and just love what you do and enjoy with uh, audience is something that I learned from Kurt Browning, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's just, there there are so many uh, mentor that I had. Yeah. That's so cool. What a great community. Yeah. Well, how was your transition into coaching? Um, at what point did you become a coach after um, you finished pro skating? And um, what was the decision for that? So switching to full-time coaching was very difficult to one. And mm-hmm. um, I've, I've always assisted other coaches and taught um, in my spare time. And eventually uh, when Jeremy became my coach I started teaching full-time and um, it it wasn't an easy transition you know when it was always about you and yourself and how to train but it was you know your body you know your soul so Mm -hmm. well to you're trying to help somebody else that it's not you and um, it is different experience but um you know, I, I had a, an extreme uh, um, privilege to, to have so many talented skaters to work with. And each individual uh, brought so much joy and um, I learned with them. Um, so that was a special experience too. Totally. You were like a pretty young um, coach when high profile skaters like Alyssa Sisney, Jeremy Abbott, um, a bunch of skaters started working with you and you were their head coach. So um, how did you navigate that as like your first time working at that level 
um, as a coach, obviously you went through it as a skater, but, um, did you feel like additional pressure having that type of talent as like your students or, um, was it something that felt more natural to you because you were at that level as a skater? Um, it felt pretty natural to me. Um, for the most part, I felt like I was in control. Um, <laughs> but um, the challenge is that, you know, in somebody's career, it's not a, always uh, a wonderful time. There, there are some serious obstacles. Like Alyssa went through her um, hip injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeremy has always had a lot of um, uh, lack of confidence, you know, even though he is, he's got a massive talent, but it's, it's almost so much talent that he felt he, he put so much pressure on himself in some ways. Mm-hmm. So to, to help the individual and to still, um, to still help help them with finding a reason why you skate, um, you know, which is the core of your career. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, actually, you know, as a high-level competitor, that, you know, we become much more goal-oriented, which is very important, and to dedicate yourself and make some sacrifices. But also in the midst of it, we really can't lose the sight of you know why we skate and and, you know what you value is very important so um that that type of integrity you know we need to keep that very uh steady Mm -hmm. so that you have your own access you know um standing on your own feet and when we lose that it becomes very shaky Mm um so I, I always try to uh, remind them of that. Um, and uh, they're, they're good. They're technically and um, physically, you know, they're very gifted and they, they're trained all their lives. And, you know, they're good to go if, if they, can, uh, they can be on the solid ground and be confident. Um, they, they have the work ethic. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to do any of, of that. <laughs> so I just, um, yeah, my, my job was to make sure that they find their own feet and mm-hmm. keep it going. <laughs> and they're I so happy with whatever that they're doing. Yeah, that, that was my job. Mm-hmm. What about as a coach, like working with different technique when um, skaters switch to you? I feel like currently there's a lot of um, skaters, both young and old, uh, that will kind of switch coaches throughout their career, which can be really beneficial for a lot of reasons, but it can also be really challenging from a technique standpoint. If you get a kid with different technique than you teach and they've already learned, say like through triple let's, um, what, like, how do you navigate that? Do you try to go back and kind of rework technique or do you just let them keep doing what they've been doing since they already have it, um, and kind of keep that going? As a coach, I, think that goes, I think that goes case by case mm-hmm. and uh, how much time we have until they have to compete, you know, um, because when you make some 
major changes in technique. It takes at least six months until they can actually get comfortable with, you know, mm-hmm. um, what we do is so timing and technically, technic- technically oriented that, you know, when you make small changes, it's still a very foreign to, you know, each of us, you know, cause we do it so many of them and we are the creature of habit. So, um, you know, we have to, this is where I think our coaching experiences come in um, to understand how much of that will affect, you know, the skater that you're working with and changing technique is great, but, you know, if, if it just, uh, if they lose their confidence all in once, then that would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will, my, I, I try my best to understand the situation and how much time that we've got. And, you know, are we, are we really changing this or are we just trying to uh, manipulate the technique a little bit? And then when we go into the off season, that certain things, mm-hmm. you know, we will um, change completely or adjust uh, but I think it's also really important to respect the previous coaches that they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they're already good skaters and there's a reason for that. And um, I don't need to change everything. But there are certain techniques that, you know, if you're teaching certain things, that, that might not work with the previous technique that they came with. So mm-hmm. we need to find a tool to be able to uh, readjust and to have our common understanding of the keywords where, um, you know, when certain things happen, what do we do to mm-hmm. make them comfortable and make them consistent so that they can do this in competitions? Yeah. Very cool. What's your opinion on um, Japanese skating right now? Uh, Because at least across all divisions, but specifically for the women, um, in the last decade, they've really produced so many talented skaters. um, And there's such a wide pool right now of top talented skaters in Japan. Um, Rather than pinning everything on like one exact favorite, it kind of seems like there's a standby of like five or six girls that could win if like something, you know, happens at competition. So um, yeah, what do you think about the current state of Japan's skating? Oh, I think it's amazing. And um, (laughs) I I don't know how they keep up, but they seem to be able to. Um, And there's always the next, you know, um, young skaters just waiting uh, to to go after the champions, you know. So it's very competitive out there. Um, I know that novice level, um, you know, when you when you see uh, sectionals or something like that, um, most of them are doing triple triples. So by the time they get up to uh, junior and senior, you know, they're definitely now you know working and landing. Uh, triple axles and quads and um, and they train hard so I um, <laughs> I can't catch up there, there are so many of them um, yes it's cool I think it's really smart that um, the J- Japanese Federation like 
does kind of have more focus on multiple athletes now rather than just having one favorite um, and then kind of keeping gaps between in points between their other skaters because now they can send full teams to competitions of like three skaters and all of them could podium or you know if one messes up the other one's right there to become champion um Mm -hmm. right after them like you said so it's it's really cool to see what they're doing with um their talent and I I really want us to do that in the uh, United States too because um I just think like the the point gaps between our like favorite skaters and our other skaters are like just too big when we go international it's like really hard to predict what's going to happen and then if the favorite doesn't do well then we're just kind of like off the podium entirely so I really really respect Japan's like mentality right now with their athletes and they have so many talented skaters so it was really fun to watch them at four continents actually like because I've been watching them on my computer all season internationally but watching them um, is very different in person and they're just so on it so fast I'm like I love them <laughs> I think it helps though that right now in Japan uh, it was kind of like when I was growing up um, or, or even in 90s and how the Americans were pretty you know strong with Michelle Kwan and you know those days in in unfortunately in U.S. Uh, right now you turn on TV or whatever and we don't see as many skating events where it used to be you know, every prime time, um, you know, TV networks, they were showing figure skating. So it was very familiar for the, the general public mm-hmm. so that they would bring their children to a skating rink. And I think that's how it all starts. Um, and in Japan, because there are so many uh, events and, you know, televised, um, you know, events and with uh, champions like, um, Yuzu and um, uh, Daisuke turning into Ice Dancer and there are some yeah. whole, whole bunch of interesting things happening Mao you know because of Mao Asada you know all these little girls they wanted to become like her you yeah. know so um, I think that's the result of why we have so many and I hope that um, you know they would keep going and I'm hoping that in the U.S. there are more people who would become more interested in uh, skate figure skating and bring them to basic skills programs and, you know, other kind of things to, to enjoy. Yeah, to make things a little bit more um, a happier totally. place in the figure skating. <laughs> that's so, yeah, that's so funny because um, at National Development Camp, um, I was with Christy Ness for a jump clinic. And when we were talking to the coaches after uh, Christy was really driving the mentality also that like the, the basic classes are what um, we're missing right now, like in terms of the pools of uh, us skating coming in again is like um, learn to skate classes, you know, like we need coaches to go teach and like have like more skaters and, and pick like the little ones that they see are um showing promise at that age and stuff but like we just need more interest from the general public in joining like learn to skate um beginning skating classes and a lot of that comes from the popularity in skating um like you said so japan is so popular with skating which makes it such a skating hub like everybody wants to go to a competition in japan or a show in japan um because the fan base is so huge and like the quality of the competitions and the events are like so amazing for the skaters it's like 
I don't know, very different than other parts of the world. Um, so I hope that popularity in the U.S. can kind of start rising again. But it definitely starts from the bottom levels, the grassroots levels of getting more just general people interested in trying yeah. skating for fun. And I also think that the key is, I don't know how, but, um, um, you know, because what Nathan has done is great, you know, pushing our sport, you know, further and further technically uh, demanding. And, and I think that has to continue. It's, it's exciting, you know, it's wonderful. But on the other hand, um, because our, you know, top level figure skating is so physically and technically demanding that it's almost like uh, if you're not that talented or um, doesn't have what it takes and then all of a sudden, okay, well, then why are we spending so much money? Because figure skating can be very expensive with the equipment and ice time and the lessons and everything mm -hmm. becomes very, very expensive. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's not affordable if it doesn't make sense, you know, then uh, everybody will start to pursue other, you know, other avenue, other sports, other uh, career. Um, and I feel like it's skating is one of the very unique um, sports where, you know, you can be very athletic, but you can also have other side, you know, artistic type of, um, you know, style as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like, you know, if we can create some places where, you know, not necessarily kids don't have to quit, but if they have a little bit more of a longevity and have a place where they can perform and to learn so much, you know, I, I feel like the grassroots where people come by and, and learn how to skate from there to, you know, you could go to competitive side or you could go to a different you know levels and for that I feel like synchronized skating is getting so good and strong and all those avenues are so good to just continue you know growing and the growth of that is very important I think you know for our yeah. figure skating community mm -hmm. yeah like <clears throat> all of the new um kind of marquee events that they're trying to add and become uh, more popular like synchro and then even adding solo dance now um, as an yeah. event is it's really cool because of the accessibility um, for skaters that have so much more to offer than just like being great technically at jumps because uh, like singles competition or pairs or ice dance right now it's very very particular technically on what you're able to do and that handful of skaters is is pretty rare in like the broad pool of people who can skate in general. And so, yeah, I think that um, having more representation, like you said, of different strengths and qualities in skating that are just as impressive to watch and just as beautiful, um, like having that attention is really important to get more people interested and believe that they can get there too. Um, yeah, that is really cool. What do you think about the state of current skating altogether right now? Uh, just because it has changed so much. I feel like just even in the last 10 years, it's been a vast change landscape, both like technically, artistically, uh, just all the rules that ISU has for competitive skating. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a hard question. 
I think in some ways it's very exciting because it really pushed us to become better athletes. Um, you know, uh, it's not all bad. But I do wish, coming from the older generation, um, I do wish to see a better quality uh, edges and um, things that... Uh, the jumps are great and, and even spins, you know, the, with the flexibilities are great. But I also wish to see that some of the simplicity is um, rewarded as well. At the same time, the quality of just doing absolutely nothing but just gliding, you know, um, at times. But there's no, there's no room for any choreography because then you'll lose out. Um, you know all those points in the features so um, you know therefore everybody is uh, learning to pretzel their bodies and but music doesn't call for it not necessarily in that moment or yeah. you know what I mean so or it's like an ugly position that balance yes yeah. yeah but because you do that then you'll get more feature uh, and more yeah. points so I, I don't know. Um, those are the parts that I feel like I'm, I'm not really uh, excited about <laughs> with, yeah. the, uh, you know, how, how it's evolved. But it's never a perfect system. So I think it constantly has to evolve. Mm -hmm. um, and it is amazing um, so far how, how, wonderful and how many um, amazing you know technicians that we've had we have now um you know in, in our skating world i think mm -hmm. um, yeah also it's very unfortunate you know with i don't know with this uh uh doping issues too like because of the demands from the younger you know uh age mm -hmm. to learn how much to you know rotate and all those things rotations and that sort of twitch you know you only learn it when you're younger so I totally understand but there is always that fine line and when the young um, athletes have to be using uh, medications that's gone too far so yeah. I think we have to respect the health of our athletes first um, mm -hmm. you know mm, to me, that makes me a little bit sad. Definitely. I think it's also interesting, um, like you said, those small muscles that you learn the the technique with and the quickness of rotation um, at such a young age, um, when your muscles like aren't quite developed enough yet to be able to handle it with just your like normal leg strength, that's when, you know, we see the younger kids twist so much and their technique starts to become way more like spinny twisty rather than classic jump um, technique that we we see way more of like 80s 90s 2000s technique now it's completely shifted to kind of like the pre-rotation and the the twisty technique um, like wiggles before jumps to kind of help you get that momentum going and I, I do think that it's really stemming from um, younger athletes trying to get these triples and these quads so early 
um, when their muscles naturally are not developed enough yet to be able to do it the classic way. Um, so it kind of has become a spiral effect in the last 10 years of trying to rush so much to get things so early. And, and now we're kind of at the stage of, yes, we have the quads, we have the triple axles, um, we have the triple triples at the end of the program, but they're not big anymore. They're not um, beautifully done easily on like a straight line edge. It's, it's all very, very different than, um, it used to be. Um, and so I, I personally, like, I don't know if that's the direction I like seeing in skating, but, um, I do respect like people that are able to do it because it is so physically challenging. Um, and it's, it's not skaters fault that, you know, the system has pushed us to this point at all, but, um, it is, yeah, it is very, interesting to see the direction skating has been going and kind of like all the little things that have been adding up to get to where we are now. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think somebody like Jason Brown, um, in the midst of so much demand with the technical aspect of it and, you know, um, all of this, uh, yet he really does go out there and uh, shows a, mature, uh, high quality performance, which is also very physically demanding when you, you know, you and I both know what it takes to, you know, have all these little, there's not a, a second or breath uh, is wasted in his program. And that is also in a different ways, physically demanding. Mm -hmm. um, and to see that, uh, in our sport is very important. And I, I really appreciate his effort. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's important for all of us to see that mm -hmm. um, because it does still exist in our sport. And, yeah. uh, you know, it would be wonderful to see more of the quality like Jason's. And mm -hmm. also at the same time, you know, uh, somebody like Nathan who would do, and also Vincent, you know, multiple quads, but their skating qualities are so wonderful too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's something to be said. Totally. There's definitely a lot of skaters with the full package out there and they're definitely mm -hmm. the ones to um, kind of watch and follow. Um, and yeah, like Jason's quality when he lands all of his triples in his program, it it's wonderful to see a complete program from start to finish with every single element, like beautifully done to the music, uh, which is rare today with the difficulty of like putting in so many quads and whatnot. So, um, yeah, watching him at nationals this year was amazing to kind of like have that quality with the rest of, um, the men also performing really well with different strengths. So yeah, yeah it's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Those were all of my questions. And um, oh, my I, pleasure. Yeah, I loved I loved this conversation. It was awesome hearing about your competitive journey and everything that you experienced and how you like are bringing that into your coaching now and view of skating. So thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. That was fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.